Happy New Year. Not sure if I'm on there. Am I on? Okay, there you go. I can hear myself now. Happy New Year. <laughs> we have made it through the holidays. We've made it through another ball dropping. We have got all the way now to 2022, which I don't know how you feel about this. To me, it's not 2022, it's 2022. I don't know. Uh, that just sounds better to me, but uh, I'm not sure how you say it, but I hope you had a good new year. Uh, we uh, came back a day early to beat the storm yesterday from our, uh, our time out of town, but I got a chance to, to spend time with just at home with the family on New Year's Eve. It's kind of fun because we told the girls they could stay up till, till midnight and watch the ball drop, and... Um, we kind of missed it, you know, like, like you, know, you stay up all night waiting for it. And for some reason, whatever we were watching, it was the one in Times Square, um, they switched it. You know, used to, like, they just show us Times Square again at midnight our time, you know, and, and, and that's, that's what I grew up with. So we got to pretend that we were watching that live even though it really wasn't. Well, they switched it, and it was some celebration in the central time zone, and um, I didn't really want to see that, so I tried switching it to something else, and then we missed it. And so about three minutes later, we pulled it up on YouTube and watched it, and my kids didn't know the difference. So I'm thankful they're young enough that I can still trick them into believing it was midnight. I should have tried that at 11, because we were ready for bed. We've reached that age where we're ready for bed. 2022, man, we don't have flying cars yet, but it hit me, this is the year I turned 40. And I said that in the upstairs, they're like, oh, bless your heart, because they're like way older than me. But, you know, it's like, man, it's the year I turned 40. And I'm just like, I'm not sure I'm emotionally prepared for this yet, but I guess we're going to find out here in, in a few months about that. But 2022, a new year is upon us. A new year uh, typically means new promise. You know, we, we think about that ringing in the new year. And, and uh, often we kind of symbolize that through a new year's resolution. Curious how many of you might have made a New Year's resolution this year. Typically, a resolution falls into one of two categories. We're going to stop doing something or start doing something. We're going to stop a bad habit. Like, this is the year I'm going to stop smoking or, or stop drinking or stop cussing or stop, stop doing certain things. Or I'm going to start a new habit. This is the year that I'm going to start uh, exercising, or I'm going to start reading all the time, or I'm going to start journaling, or uh, one that I've lied to myself about several times. I'm going to start running this year. I saw somebody running yesterday morning. It was like 12 degrees. So I'm like, okay, there's probably a bear loose in my neighborhood because some dude's running. There's no way a sane person is out running at this time of day with this temperature, but he, I didn't see a bear, so I think he was actually doing that on purpose. But we think about this. So one of the most uh, widely used resolutions every year is I'm going to start eating better. Uh, that's something that I'd actually like to do a little bit more so is, is just eating a little cleaner maybe some years. Part of it is I just feel better. You know, it's not so much about how I look, but, but about how, how you feel. And, and you know this, if you eat heavy, greasy stuff all the time, it'll catch up to you all the time. Or on the flip side, you could eat nothing but salads and just be miserable in life. Like, you need that, that balance, right? But when we talk about eating, that that's actually carries a lot of meaning. Because what we eat matters more than we realize. And, and we, we talk about this both metaphorical and literal. 
Again, literally, if all I eat are greasy foods and, and, and stuff that's, that's battered or, or, you know, I eat nothing but red meat, that's going to catch up to me at some point. Or, or I'm not going to feel the best. So what you eat matters more than you realize. It also is spiritual. Like, like what you consume matters more than you realize. And we think about this because you look in the Old Testament and you see the Israelites as they were wandering the desert for 40 years. God fed them, but it wasn't enough for them. Like, it was enough, but it wasn't enough. He fed them manna every single day. And that sustained them, but it didn't satisfy them. In fact, it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that people do not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And we take this verse, and we think about this verse, and there's, again, there's a lot to this. But more than just reading this verse out of Deuteronomy, we see this verse repeat itself later on. Because in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And he's not eaten anything for weeks. And Jesus is very weak. And he's hungry. And the, the devil tells him, well, if you're that hungry, you're God. Just turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quotes this verse to him. People don't live by bread alone but rather by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. That's why Jesus, later in his ministry, calls himself the bread of life. He uses that terminology. But when it comes to us, bread, like it'll sustain you, but bread is not what you need to have a good, solid, healthy life. But like how many of you, when you go to a restaurant and you sit down, they'll bring bread out, you just go nuts on the bread. You don't have to, like if you're embarrassed, you don't have to raise your hand. If you're, you, know, you can be loud and proud and I don't care. I'm not one of those. I don't need the bread. I'm not a bread person. Okay, it just gets in the way. Like, I like sandwiches, but uh, it's not that I'm a no-carbs kind of person. I just, it gets in the way. I don't really need bread. I don't need dessert at the end of my meal. I want the main course. And I want the main course until I'm miserable and questioning my life's decisions. Like, I'll eat as much of that as I can. The one exception is a Mexican restaurant. Chips and salsa don't count. Okay, man can live by chips and salsa alone. That's a textual variant in here that I need you to understand. I'll eat those until I'm no longer hungry and take my food home with me. But like, like they plop bread down in front of us. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. i got to be really hungry before I'll eat that. Otherwise, I'm going to wait on my main course. We don't just fill up on bread. We need more. We need that main course. We need that protein in our diets. What we eat matters more than what we know. And again, that's not just literal. That's also symbolic. It's spiritual because we need the word of God. We need every word that comes out of his mouth. Simply put, we need the Bible because the Bible makes your life better. Plain and simple. Of all the books that, that have ever been written, have ever been produced, you could ever read, the Bible stands alone as by far the best-selling and by far the most impactful and influential in all of human history. We're starting a new series today called Check It Out, and the idea of this series is we are going to, we're going to work through the Bible. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not going to go page by page or chapter by chapter. Those, those types of series would take us probably at least a decade to go through. And we're not even going to go book by book because that would take five years at minimum, five and a half years to go through book by book. But what we're going to do instead is we're going to go theme by theme. 
We're going to go through between now and Easter Sunday and pick out the main themes, the main movements of the Bible, and we're going to focus on those so that as we go through those, we get a solid grasp on the Word of God. And, and before we jump into this, before we jump into Genesis 1 here in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to take a couple of weeks and take a big step back to get a big picture view of what the Bible's all about and why we're going to spend a third of 2022 on this particular series. Because when we look at this, this is the book that I stake my entire life on. Like everything about me is because of this book. Like it's one of the, it's one of the few elements in all of life that, that again I would be willing to stake everything on. But I want to kind of explain why. That's what I'm going to do today is kind of explain the why and and next week kind of get into the how and then we're going to jump into all the themes. So, so bear with us just a little bit. But as we jump into this, I just want to start at the very, very basics because some of you may be visiting with us today or maybe online with us today and you're not that engrossed in the Bible. Maybe you're visiting today. Maybe your resolution was, I'm going to start coming to church. And so you're here. And if that's you, we're so grateful that you're here with us today. So I want to start with the very, very basics of this. So bear with me if you're a scholar here. But the number one thing, and I've already done this a couple of times, is a misconception is we call this a book. It's not a book. It's an anthology. It's a collection of 66 books written over 1,500 years in three different languages by at least 40 different authors. Now, for some comparison's sake here, other religious texts, such as the Book of Mormon or the Quran, those have one author. They were written in a much shorter time frame. This one spans continents. And we know of at least 40 authors. We know of at least 30 in the Old Testament and at least 9 or 10 in the New Testament. It's written, again, uh, comprised of 66 books broken into 39 Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And again, it covers the span of of history, written in a 1,500-year window. But that's just some basic facts. There's some truths about this, too, that we as a church stand firmly on. From day one, Brad has believed these, and and I believe these, and and these are going to continue to be foundational as we move into the future. But three absolute truths that we believe and will not waver on about the Bible are this. First, we believe the Bible is inspired, meaning we believe that God controlled the process by which this was written. Now, there's some debate on how that took place. Did God say something and the human writers just dictated it? Or did God give them an idea and tell them to run with it? I don't know how it falls exactly, but I know God inspired it and they wrote it. They wrote it in their own personalities and their own voices. You could hear Brad and I preach the exact same sermon God's laid on our heart and we're going to preach it differently. And, and that's something I pray every week before I take the stage is, God, let me just be a mouthpiece for you today. Use my personality, my words, but let it be your word. Let, let my words come, or, or let, let your words come through me And be out there. God inspired the words of the Bible. The second word we believe in truth is that we believe the Bible is inerrant. Meaning that it is absolutely free from all falsehood and mistakes. One of the biggest criticisms of the Bible by skeptics is that it contradicts itself. It does not. There might be two verses if you pull them completely out of context that will disagree with one another. But you can't pull them out of context. You have to read them to who they were written and how they were written. 
And so when you do that, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It's free from falsehood. It's free from mistakes. We believe the Bible is perfect. Also, we believe this, the Bible is infallible. In other words, it's always reliable. If you go to the Bible looking for answers, it will not let you down with one exception. If you go to the Bible just looking to back up what you already think you want to know, then it might let you down. But if you come to the Bible honestly, open hands, open heart, open mind, the Bible will not let you down. It is inspired, inerrant, it is infallible. And often we think about this because maybe you've heard somebody ask the question, well, if you were on death row and you only had one meal left, what would your last meal be? Or if you were going to go on one vacation to anywhere in the world, all expenses paid, what would your one vacation be? Or maybe you'll hear somebody say, if you were stranded on a desert island, what's the one thing you could have with you? And the question you're always asked after that is, well, why would you pick that? Because it matters. It's personal. It means something to you. That meal that you would pick means something to you. That destination means something to you. That thing you take or that book you would read means something to you. So why does the Bible mean so much to me, you might ask? Why is the Bible so important? It's plain and simple. The Bible is all about Jesus. And that's what we're here to do, is to learn more about Jesus, to worship Jesus, to try and become more like him. That's why our church bears the name Christian, to be like Christ, to, to, to grow to become more like him. And the Bible is all about him. Yes, we read specifically about him in the New Testament, but the entire Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament starts pointing uh, people toward Jesus and starts setting people up for his coming. And then in the New Testament, it's his, his biography and his story. And then the, the last half of the New Testament builds off of his story with his church beginning and starting the legacy that we follow with here today. The Bible is what we call a meta-narrative. It's one continuous story from Genesis to Revelation. Beginning to end, it's one continuous story. And yes, every book is a little different. Every chapter is a little different. We'll read about different people and different stories, but they plug back into the greater overall story. Maybe you're uh, like, like my family, myself, my daughter, we're fans of the Marvel movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Each movie tells its own story, but ultimately it's one overarching story all the way through. They all connect back to it. That's how the Bible is as well, too. We see as we read through this the big picture of Jesus and the role he plays in God's plan for humanity. And we need to remember that because all too often we're very good, whether you are a longtime Christian or whether you're here and, and checking out the Bible for the first time, we're good at dive bombing individual passages and using them for various reasons. And, and, and I want you to hear me out on this because that doesn't make these any less true. It just doesn't give us the big picture. Uh, maybe you follow me on social media. Maybe you're a friend with me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can get a glimpse of who I am, but seeing pictures from a vacation or seeing a post about something that's happened or something along those lines, that doesn't give you the full picture of who I am. Or following me on Twitter... If that's all you know me from his Twitter, you think, man, this guy is crazy. Because all he does is rant about sports, which is true. That's why I have a Twitter account. Because <laughs> I rant about sports on there. Or on Facebook, I post uh, funny pictures or, or quotes from my kids or, or things from Christmas or, or different things of that nature. You don't get a full picture of who I really am. 
Like, if you followed me on Facebook yesterday, you probably think this is just some guy whose kid got their tongue stuck to a telephone pole, which is true. That happened yesterday. My oldest got her tongue stuck to a light pole yesterday. It really happened. And, and no, I, contrary to what some people thought, I did not leave her out there for that long. Uh, I went to her, she was about halfway down the block, and I got to her and realized that my youngest, Titus, had followed me, no shoes on, no jacket on, trying to catch snowflakes on his tongue. And so I grabbed him, and for some reason, I tell Elsie, don't go anywhere. She couldn't get her face off the pole, but I told her not to go anywhere. She's fine. Her, her tongue will grow back. It's fine. But you don't get a full picture of who I am from social media. You need to be with me and spend time with me to really get to know me. That's why we date people and not just go on one or two dates. We spend time with them before we decide we want to marry them. You need to spend time with the Bible, the whole Bible, to get to know Jesus. And in fact, I'll say it like this. How well you know Jesus is determined by how well you know the Bible. The reason is because the Bible shows the real Jesus. The real Jesus who had emotions and feelings. Uh, the real Jesus who came to earth and knew no sin but became sin on my behalf and on your behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible shows. And we need to understand that because it's far too easy for us to personalize Jesus. It's far too easy for us to make him who we want him to be. Because that's a very easy Jesus to follow. I could very easily make Jesus just like me. A Jesus who loves the same things as me and doesn't like the same things as me and, and who thinks like me and talks like me because, man, I'm a great Christian if that's the Jesus I'm following. Here's the problem. That's not a Jesus that's going to work very well for you or anybody else. Now, yes, it's true. I said this earlier, and I said this at Christmas. Jesus came into our humanity and embraced our humanity. And there's a personal aspect of that that separates Christianity from all the other religions. But don't personalize him to the point where he's no longer the holy, true God of all creation. Because that's who he really is. The God who spoke and the world came into existence. That's the, the Jesus we read about in Scripture. That's the Jesus that we find, that we uncover through the pages of the Bible. But something else about the Bible, too, and, and we talk about the Bible being uh, something that we can turn to in difficult times. We've got to be careful that the Bible is not just a handbook that we pull out when things go wrong. Yes, it's valuable for that, but that can't be the only time that we use it. We need to use it in the good times as well. We need to use it when things are going well to build those foundations so that, that through it, through the lens of the Bible, we can get a better glimpse of the world and see how God works through the world and how God works through us as we follow him. N.T. Wright is a, a scholar, a New Testament scholar. He had this quote. He said that the Bible is the book of my life. He said it's the book I live with, the book I live by, the book I want to die by. A man who's dedicated his entire life to it. So you ask, okay, Kurt, that's great. So, so why? Why are we diving into this like this? Why are we taking a third of this year to talk about just the Bible overall? Rather than talking about a topic from the Bible or a theme from the Bible, we're just going to do the whole thing. Simply put, because we need it. We need it in every aspect of our lives. Hebrews chapter 4. 
one of the few books that we don't know who wrote it. But the author says this, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. File that verse away because we're going to come back to it a few times. But this verse right here to me stands out like God as an authoritative parent, so to speak. My kids are getting to the age, especially my middle one, she's seven. Everything we tell her now is followed up with why. And I don't know if it's her pushing or her just being curious. It could be either one. But there are times that I really try to be compassionate and tell her why. But there are many times, parents, you get this, that I just can't handle the why question. So what do I reply with? That dad response that I hated hearing, because I said so. Why? Because I said so. Stop asking. And I don't like to give that response, but I think every once in a while, God has to give me that response. Why, God? Because I said so. Sit down and be quiet. (laughs) That's what this verse tells me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, because I said so. He separates us, it says. And I think what he separates us from is the word separates us as Christians from our identity that the world gives us. And it separates our intentions and our thoughts from our actions. Because sometimes we know those can be two things that are very opposite. My thoughts and intentions can be good. My actions may not be. The Bible helps us to separate all that. And the the important thing to remember with this is it is eternal in doing so. It's unending. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Uh, We just celebrated Christmas. We brought home two carloads full of stuff from Oklahoma. And it actually kind of worked out. We had to make several trips up and down the road this past week just because of stuff going on. So Christmas night, Jennifer and I came back, just the two of us, and we brought a ton of stuff home. And then we went back a couple of days later. And it was a good thing we made that trip because our car was packed full. We had the three kids. We had our dog at that point too, but it was just packed with a cargo box on the top that was packed. Our car was packed for stuff. And we're grateful for that stuff. It's fun stuff. It was our Christmas presents that my kids got or that we got and, and, and things like that. And that's great, but you know this. At some point, all that stuff is going to wind up in the garbage. It's going to wind up in a landfill. Uh, because I can tell you this, one of these days when, you know, I'm gone. My, my next and generations after me aren't going to want those, you know, beanbag toss boards my brother made for me. They're pretty cool. They're cardinals. You'd love them. But uh, they're probably not going to want all that stuff. It's temporary. And when we base our lives on things of this world that are temporary, our lives will not have the stability. But God is eternal, and his word is eternal. It's unending. It's unchanging. Too often, I think, that we like to to think that we need Christianity to flow with culture. We see this from so many churches and so many people today. We're, We're bending Christianity to meet culture. But the word doesn't change. His word doesn't change. It doesn't end. It says the Bible is alive and active. It's sharp. It's penetrating. If you cook, you know this. You need a sharp knife. Every time I cut myself on the finger, it's because my knife needs to be sharpened. It's getting dull, and it slips off what I'm cutting and goes into my finger. It's still sharp enough to cut my finger, just not that tomato. (laughs) 
But it, when it does cut, you know that it's not a clean cut. It's a little jagged. Sharpen the knives. Keep them sharp. It's going to make it so much easier. The Bible never needs to be sharpened. But here's the catch, church. Here's the catch with this. To build and base your life on the Bible will be challenging. It must be challenging. It has to be challenging. Because if you're going to base your life on the Bible, it must be the entire Bible. It must be cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. You can't just pick and choose. You can't just decide what you want to go with. I can't be just the person you might see on Facebook. There's a lot more to me. There's a lot more that goes on than just the highlights that I choose to show you. But too often, when we approach the Bible, and, and this goes for everyone, Christians, you too, not just those who might not know the Bible that well, but all of us. When we approach the Bible, we do it with a highlighter in one hand and a pair of scissors in the other. And, and we have those verses that stick out to us, that jump out to us, that mean a lot to us, that maybe you have them on a sign on a wall in your house, or maybe you've got them tattooed to your arm. There are verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to help you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a great verse. We love that verse. Or maybe uh, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. We love that verse. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. Or maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or one that I used to put on my cleats or on my wristbands in every football or soccer game I ever played, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All things except actually get to see the field and score. <laughs> I could do all other things. <laughs> we love those verses. We highlight those verses. We share those verses with one another. What about those other passages? Those more difficult ones to follow, those that we don't like to listen to. Like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Or two verses later, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Or maybe Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Or the next chapter, Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Talking about your money. Or James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Who has that verse highlighted in their Bibles? Now, we don't necessarily use a literal pair of scissors. We don't go through and actually cut out verses from our Bible, but those are the verses where we put our highlighters down. Those are the verses that we don't like to ponder on. All those verses that, that he calls us to suffering or that he says you will have trouble in the world, but they're part of the word. And those verses maybe, because they're so difficult and so challenging, are precisely the ones we should be highlighting and memorizing and putting on our walls or our bathroom mirrors to see every single day. Because those are the ones ultimately that might shape us more than the ones that make us feel good. A.W. Tozer, a, a theologian, says this, we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Cover to cover. I think personally, my thought is we don't like to look at those verses because they talk about us in our weakness. And weakness is not something we like to talk about. 
We don't like to admit our weaknesses to one another. And in fact, really, across society, we don't even use the word weakness anymore. We use the phrase area for growth. That's what we like to talk about. It's a potential growth area. It's no longer a weakness. But let's call a spade a spade. It's a weakness. It's something we're not good at, something we struggle with. And I want to call it a weakness because the Bible's very clear at calling it a weakness. It's okay because we all have them. We all have weaknesses in some way, shape, or form. And the Bible's very clear about that. Back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just like we have. Yet he didn't sin. See, I look at it like this, church. If we fail to admit that we have a weakness, we fail to admit that we need help with that weakness. And you could take it a step further and say this, that our inability to acknowledge a weakness is our inability to see a need for a Savior. If I don't have any weaknesses, I don't need any help. I don't need a Savior. How many people have said that before? I got this. I don't need any help. Now, maybe sometimes you don't. Maybe you're doing something that you're fully capable of doing. But you can't say that about every aspect of life. We just can't. We're not perfect. We're flawed. And that's okay. Because in our weakness, Christ came for us. Paul says in Romans 5 that while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. I love the New Living Translation version of this because it says, while we were utterly helpless, Jesus came. Uh, that, that to me just sticks out. It's one thing to say I'm weak. It's another to say that I'm utterly and totally helpless. Luke chapter 5, Jesus said he didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. How many of you, when you're feeling really good, go check yourself into the hospital? Just for kicks. Just in case. <laughs> no, I don't even like going for a scheduled checkup when everything is good. Like, I need a reason to go to the doctor, and even then I don't like to go. Okay, but like, the, that's just how we are, right? Like, how many of you, you just go to the ER this afternoon, like, I'm okay, I just want to make sure. You don't do that. That's what Jesus said. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And church, that's our goal too, is to be a clinic for the great physician to work. That's the verse where we call him the great physician. And if he is our great physician, folks, in this Bible, as Hebrews 4.12 said, is his scalpel to cut right through us all the way down to our joints, to our marrow. It's his x-ray machine that we can hold up so that we can see what we need to see because God already can see it. God knows the weaknesses inside of us. But sometimes we don't, and this lets us see those a little bit better. Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It tells us that nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. It says that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Or Psalm 139, when the psalmist says to search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me, reveal in me, test me, show me, know me, lead me. How many of you are willing to make that your prayer this year? Because I can tell you, if you pray that sincerely and honestly, God will show you the weaknesses. But he'll also show you what to do about those weaknesses. He'll show you 
where to go in his word to make your life better. Because the Bible makes your life better. If you don't believe me, just let me give you some statistics. These were comprised and compiled by groups like Barna that do research with, with churches, with Christians. Here's what they found. People who engage with the Bible at least four times a week, they, they, they read and study their Bible at least four times a week, they saw a significant drop in certain behaviors, a 57% drop in alcoholism and drunkenness, a 61% drop in use of pornography, a 68% drop in sexual sin, a 74% drop in gambling, a 31% drop in depression, 32% drop in loneliness, a 40% drop in excessive bitterness, 32% drop in self-destructive thoughts, and a 31% increase in the ability to forgive. The Bible makes your life better. But the Bible doesn't just change your behaviors. It changes the foundation of your character. It doesn't just change what I do. It changes who I am. And it goes beyond just you. It's going to have a generational impact and change the foundations of your family. This is a picture of my grandma. She just turned 92 about a month ago. And here she is doing what she does for a good chunk of her day, every single day that she's done. I won't say for 92 years, but for a good percentage of those. She's gone for most of my 40 years doing this. My grandpa's been gone about 15 years, but he did the same thing right beside her every single day. And there on the left, you see her in her chair at home, just reading through her Bible every Every morning, sometimes every evening, on the right, it's her at church with her notepad, taking notes. Someone who's read the Bible cover to cover, I don't know how many times, and she's still taking notes. When I look at this picture, and when I look at this next one, that just shows the pages of her Bible, and when I pause, and when I think about everything in my life and my mom's life and my aunt's lives and my cousin's lives and how many times those things have popped up and my grandma's first response is to sit down over those pages. And when I think about the prayers that she's prayed over these pages and the tears that she shed over these pages, week after week, month after month, year after year, I don't want to imagine where I would be today without that right there. Without her dedication to this. We're by no means perfect, but I can tell you this, looking at my grandparents, my grandpa didn't come to know the Lord until he was in his 40s. And he would tell you he was, he used the term rascal. That's how old he was. He was a rascal. <laughs> my grandma, let me just tell you this, she's not like this because of this Bible. She's like this because of her mom's Bible and her grandparents' Bibles. And because of the generational ripple effect that continues to this day, my grandparents were extremely involved in church. My grandma doesn't anymore because she's 92. She can go when she can go. She watches online with my aunt and uncle. My mom and her two sisters have always been extremely actively involved in church. I'm the, the fifth of six cousins. Five of us are extremely involved in church, two in paid ministry. 
and the next generation that's coming along, the oldest of that fourth generation, is about to graduate college and in a few months is actually going to move up here to go to medical school. And she can't wait to use her, her medical degree and become a doctor so she can help other people and serve the church through her, her, her medical field. Her younger sister's in Bible college right now because she can't wait to get into ministry. And, and now dozens of that fourth generation are actively involved in church, and it started right there. And I just, again, I cannot help but think and don't want to think about where I would be today without what she's done for decades. Your dedication to the word can have a generational impact in the kingdom of God. And, and I think about that because I wonder one day what my grandkids might say about me in that same aspect. Will they look at my Bibles and think about the, the times I have prayed over those pages? I've got a stack of them in my office. And they all have meaning. Do, do I use them all? No. Do I have them up there just to look good? No. I have them there because they mean something to me. They, they meant something to a certain moment and time in my life. I, I got a few of them to share with you here today. You have to forgive me because I stacked them in the wrong order after the last service. But like a lot of kids, I had kid Bibles growing up. And on my 14th birthday, my grandma that you just saw, actually my, my Christmas when I was 14, my grandma and grandpa got me my first adult Bible. It was a King James, and I couldn't read it very well as a 14-year-old. I still struggle with it sometimes. And I treasured it so much that, that that first Sunday I had it, right for Christmas, I dropped it in a foot of snow and crinkled all the pages. <laughs> it's pretty beat up. You can see I, I read on it a lot. I underlined a lot. I took some notes in it. When I was in college, down at the University of Oklahoma, I found one on a clearance rack. Small New Living Translation. I loved it because it was small. I could throw it in my backpack. I carried this all through college. It's missing part of the New Testament now. I have to tape it back in. But this one I carried with me to our weekly Bible studies every week. You can see it's pretty beat up. It's got a lot of notes and highlights and underlines in it. It's got a lot of spots I've had to glue back together in it. Got a name tag in the front, because in our campus ministry, we used to put name tags on every week, and then we would trade him at the end, and that was your prayer partner for the week. At one point, I had several in there. They kind of fell out over the course of time, but man, this one, this one got me through some tough times. This one got me through some difficult days when I was felt all alone. The furthest I'd been away from home, a couple, three hours away at the time. I got uh, this Bible, the one I haven't read a whole lot, but I got it as a gift, it was a graduation present from the church I was attending. And I kind of just treasured it. I didn't, again, use it all the time. I, I used it more as, as, as something that was just meaningful for me. I, I bought two Bibles when I started Bible college. I actually left one at home uh, this morning. I really wanted it to be here because it's falling apart. It's one that, that the cover's all coming off. I can't even read most of the book of Matthew because I've got so many notes in it nowadays. It was more or less my textbook. But I also bought this one. My first one I bought that was an English standard version, and it's got a lot of notes from classes in it. I got it because it was small. It was easy to carry in a backpack. This is the one I bought a few years ago, and this is my main everyday Bible now. And if you start reading through it and looking through it, especially in a few different books, you'll see that it's pretty marked up. 
You know, I've got several pages that are highlighted in notes and, and uh, used it through my master's programs and, and um, use it as my daily study. And, and I wonder one of these days if one of my kids or grandkids is going to want this and think, man, this, <laughs> this shaped dad's life. This shaped dad's ministry. I wonder how many people might be touched because of him studying and reading this Bible. It's got a generational impact. And folks, let me just tell you, if you've got a Bible, and it's starting to look like this one right here, and it's falling apart, and you have to glue pages back in it, and maybe you have to duct tape the cover back on, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because here's a simple truth. A person who has a Bible who's tattered typically has a life that's not. A person who has a Bible that's falling apart typically has a life that isn't. So the more you get that Bible worn out and beat up, the better your heart and your soul are going to be because of it. And hear me out, that doesn't mean just because your life's not falling apart that it feels perfect. Your life may still feel like it's being beat up on. You may not be as polished and smooth as you want to be. That's okay. Jesus didn't tell us to expect that. In fact, he told us the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He tells us in verse 8 that we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And you jump down to verse 16. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. The Bible makes your life better. Plain and simple. And so as we started this, this sermon off, I asked you the question, have you made any kind of a resolution? That's, that's a question we ask sometimes and some people roll their eyes and often we make a resolution that lasts until about Valentine's Day. But I want to give you a challenge. So that, that's my job. <laughs> my job is to give you challenges. My challenge is simply this. Commit to reading your Bible at least four times a week. And I'm going to put an asterisk on this because some of you already do that. Well, if you read it four times, read it five. If you read it five, read it six. If you read it six, read it every day. If you read it every day for 30 minutes, go for 45 minutes. Whatever you do, take it one step further this year. We've got some amazing uh, resources to help you out with. We have a thing called Right Now Media that's full of Bible studies that you can follow about 10 to 15 minute videos from pastors all over the country and, and, and teachers all over the country that you can follow along with. If you want a Bible reading plan, we can help you out with some of those. Like Brad is, is starting back up his read through the Bible small group. If you'd like to join that, fill out your connection card that you would like to join that, drop it in one of these boxes here in just a few minutes as you head out. And he'll get in touch with you and we'll get started. But pick a plan and do it whether you're going to read through the Bible this year or you just want to become dedicated in your reading. And people will ask me, what's the best translation for me to read? And my response is, the one you're going to read. The one you will read. 
If you're not a big-time reader, pick something like the New Living Translation. If you love to study and love the in-depth, get the English Standard Version. If you want somewhere in between, get an NIV or a, a, a CSB or, or one of those. There's plenty of options. They're all pretty solid. So pick one. Go with it. Get the Version Bible app on your phone. It's free. There's a dozen, dozens and dozens of reading plans in there. Pick one and go with it. I've got one resource I'll just recommend to you. It's one that, that means something to me. I gave you a quote from this guy earlier, but there's a book called Core 52 by Dr. Mark Moore. And this started off, I, when it, Mark was one of my professors in Bible college. He's one of my mentors. He was my mentor when I was in my residency uh, several years ago in Phoenix. And actually, while I was with him on my residency, he said, I got a project idea for you. Well, I didn't know at the time that eventually was going to become this book that he didn't give me any credit for. That's fine. I'm not bitter. But <laughs> he didn't need my help, trust me. But he was wanting me to start thinking about this and thinking through this and get the wheels spinning. So what he does is 15 minutes a day, five days a week, in one year, you can get a solid grasp on what the Bible's all about. And there's a teen version for it too, for students, a little simpler to understand for students. Uh, this is something that, that, that I, I feel very passionate about. But whatever you choose to do, choose something and run with it. Because here's my thought, church. Here's my thought. As we start 2022, I don't know what your goal is for this year, but for me, I want everything I do, I just want to give it to God. The church, my own life, my own walk, my marriage, my kids, I want to just give it to God. Because I, I don't know how you feel. The last few years, I feel like we just can't wait for New Year's Day to get here because the year's been so terrible. Man, 2020 was so bad, or 2019. I'm ready for us to not say that at the end of 2022. For us to stare backwards a year from now and go, man, what a year. Did you see what God did? Did you see what God did to the church through me? How the church has grown, how his kingdom's grown, how this city is just being won over for God? That's what I want to say a year from now. And that'll start when we start diving into our word and giving it all to him. I'm going to pray for us. And when I, after I do, you can step into your time of communion and spend a few moments with God. But man, I just can't wait to see what this church does and becomes if we just base everything on the foundation of, of his word. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful, so grateful for you. We're so thankful for your son, but God, we're thankful for your word that we can read and study so that we can know you, so that we can become more like you. And God, I just pray for this church, for those online today, God, that you would just clear our minds of all the junk in the world so that we would be focused on you. And God, that we would base our lives around you, knowing it's going to be a challenge, knowing there's going to be some uncomfortable moments in becoming more like you. God, as we prepare to step into our time of communion today, I just pray that you would rest our hearts and rest our souls. God, as we take this moment to be with you, we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.